Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSP Magazine. You're about to experience the other society. Prepare yourself for an independent, unscripted, and unedited conversation about the past, present, and future of the relationship between technology and humanity. Our goal is to share information and inspire action so that technology can be utilized to make our world a better place for everyone. The Other Society is not just a vision, it is a movement, and you can join it. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. Marco. Sean. We're on a road. On the road to where? To, uh... Oh, wait, 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 wait. Oh. Is that a yellow brick road? No, it's purple. Purple <laughs> stones. Purple stones, Marco. Purple stones. Damn it. To, uh, to a, a society where everything is perfect, everybody has the same set of morals, and uh, we follow the same uh, set of ethical rules, and you know how we got there? Yellow brick road. No, technology. <laughs> well, it was, okay, maybe a digital yellow brick road. It's, technology got us there, Marco. It saved the day. Well, yeah. is it a house that flew in a storm and just landed somewhere? Is that, <laughs> that technology that we're talking about? Yeah, the I, I think, I think we're going there, even if we did say before we started recording that we were not going to go there. But, you know, <laughs> there's me and uh, somebody's actually follow my lead. So <laughs> we'll talk about the Wizard of Oz and how... Maybe ethical or unethical, his technology at the time was. And uh, Sean, uh, honestly, let's be serious for once. I know. Uh, just, this, just is one this is the Kevin show. This is the Kevin show. This is the Kevin show. We're, we're, I'm thrilled to have Kevin on uh, as a co host for this session, part of the series on uh, ethics in a digital society. And uh, we've had many chats with Kevin on, on ethics and technology. and uh, in the first episode of the series, we got very philosophical. What is ethics, and how does it how does it play a role in in our society, and and shape the way we build and use technology, or vice versa? <laughs> and, uh, lot, lots of fun stuff there. So I encourage everybody to listen to that episode and a uh, number of links as well there. Uh, but Kevin, today it's all about technology, right? Both directions, using it, abusing it, and it's it's a uh, it's toll against us as humanity. And ho and hopefully it's benefits as well if we can yes, get that too. Uh, I sure, I surely hope so. Surely hope so. So, uh, a few few words from you, Kevin, to uh, reinitiate you and uh, help folks remember who you are, and then uh, a round of the panel uh, so they could do the same, please. Yeah, thanks, guys. So my name is Kevin McNish. I am a consultant in digital ethics with Soprasteria, and one might say a recovering academic after 12 years in, in academia prior to joining Soprasteria. Um, but I hasten to add, this is very much not the Kevin show. I'm just asking the questions. This is the panel's show. And so I want to use that to introduce the panel. And uh, Gemma, if we start off with you, and then um, you pass it on to whoever next. If you could introduce yourself, that would be great. Sure. Um, I'm Gemma Galdón-Clavell. Uh, I've been working on the social impact of technology for the last 15 years, so way before it was a thing. I feel the field that I work on has kind of exploded before my eyes, which has been great, but also um, challenging. Um, I lead a team of 30 people at Ethicas that work on um, looking at how technology impacts on society, but most importantly, on protecting people in technology processes. And we do that first and foremost through developing practical tools like algorithmic auditing. Nice. I say we go uh, with Ravit next. Okay. Uh, you pronounced my name perfectly. Uh, <laughs> that's, that is unusual and great. By chance. Uh, yeah, okay. So my name is uh, Ravito Tan. I am also a recovering academic. <laughs> I, <laughs> well, I guess I kind of fell off or on the wagon now. So I I, um, I work in the field of AI ethics. I, I came to this field from philosophy. Uh, so I started doing research in AI ethics while I was doing my PhD in philosophy at Berkeley. Um, but... Then I pivoted more and more to how, how do we how do we get industry to do things differently, mm -hmm. um, and how do we how do we bridge that gap between 
talking about AI ethics and you know how we would like the AI to be and actually having the AI looking that way. Um, that is what I focus on uh, mostly these days. And I, I have legs in three sectors. So I, I work in the private sector. I, <laughs> I'm, I'm VP of Responsible AI at a company called the AI Responsibility Lab. And I am the AI, uh, the Responsible AI advocate at a company called Bria. Uh, but I also have legs in the academic sector. I This is the first time I'm saying this publicly, but I am founding a lab at the University of Pittsburgh. <laughs> yeah. And the lab is kind of, I'm actually in my mind calling it a factory lab because it has dual goals. On the one hand, do research on, yeah, how do we bridge that gap? How do we get companies that develop AI, buy AI, or invest in AI? How do we get them to do it more responsibly, but then take what we learn and implement it throughout the local ecosystem? Um, so that's my academic leg. And I also have nonprofit legs. Um, for example, I, I am the AI ethics lead at Women in AI, and we're about to launch a responsible AI competition. So that is shout outs to myself and... Uh, <laughs> AI ethics factory. I like it. I like it. Well, hopefully we'll hear more about what's going on there. Adam. All right. Thanks. Um, so my name is Adam Hinchke. Um, as you might be able to tell from my accent, uh, I'm an Australian. Some people have referred to me as the Wizard of Oz. Um, <laughs> that very, very recently. So I'm going to have to take up that mantle and pursue it as, as far as I can. Um, I am, I'm not a recovering academic. I'm, I don't know what you call it, an indulgent academic in that <laughs> I am currently at the University of Twente in the Netherlands, um, working the philosophy section there. And my areas of research are way too many for me to talk about and way too many for me to actually do comprehensively. Um, but some of the stuff that's relevant here is I've, I've been working on ethics and information and communication technologies for a bunch of years now. Um, and a lot of my work for the past probably five to 10 years has been at the, the space or the kind of overlapping areas between ethics, technology, and national security. So I've been looking a lot at national security technologies, however we, we understand that and kind of ethical and a bit of uh, policy issues relevant to that. Um, a lot of stuff on surveillance technologies. More recently, I've been doing things on ethics and the internet of things trust in autonomous vehicles, um, ethics of human military enhancement, and some of the stuff that I've been really interested in the past kind of year or two, couple of years now, I guess, uh, ethics of intelligence institutions, and also ethical and, I don't know what you call them, political issues to do with information conflict, cognitive warfare, and things like that. So that's, yeah, some of the stuff that I'm, I'm interested in. Excellent. Thanks, Adam. That's a really good, uh, really good spread, I think, of, of stuff there. And it's yeah, fun that you talk about surveillance, because I think that was where I first met you was talking about ethics of surveillance and likewise with Gemma as well. So Gemma, I wanted to, to hit you with that with the first question, given the move that you've made. And you may not see it as that big a move from surveillance into looking at algorithms and the impact of technology on society. But what would you say are some of the greatest ethical challenges that society faces as a result of technology today? Um, I think that the best way of looking at this question is probably to look at how society has dealt with innovation throughout history. And my my initial degree was in history, even though I got my PhD in political science. But but I find that coming from the historical perspective has helped me a lot, kind of land a lot of the things that people think are also new and also difficult. It's like society has been negotiating the impact of innovation since forever. You know, we've been innovating in lots of different fields for a long, long time. Um, and we've managed to find ways, better or worse, to reconcile the, the innovation with social impacts. The, the challenge right now and what I think puzzles so many of us is that we have seen the impact of innovation, technological innovation and AI-related innovation in terms of polarization, manipulation, discrimination, um, uh, lack of transparency. So we've seen all those things but we're not doing anything to 
um, to to mitigate those harms. So that the what's puzzling about the current moment is how long it's taking us to act on something that we know is harming individuals and individual and collective and collective rights. So for me, it's uh, what what I do often in my work is I, I look at so what's what's happened in the past is that we you had innovation and then it, there's always a time in which society needs to understand what that innovation is about and how it impacts people. And then you build the tools to protect people. So like, you know, cars didn't come with seatbelts, but we developed the seatbelts. So we, I often say that my work is to develop the seatbelts of AI. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. what are the practical, physical things that will protect us? That doesn't mean that, it, that a seatbelt doesn't make a car good, but it makes it better. So, you know, the fact that you audit an AI system doesn't mean it's a good system, but it's definitely a better system because it's gone through some uh, a process uh, that has mitigated those those risks. Another example, very timely with the with COVID um, vaccines, uh, when we started developing vaccines, we would try them on humans. You know, um, now we don't do that. There's clinical trials. There's a huge process. It's heavily regulated. And no one would say, you know, oh, I'd rather be vaccinated with a vaccine that didn't go through clinical trials. We understand that clinical trials are the way that we have negotiated the potential of pharmaceutical research and the needs of society. So what are the the specific things that we need to develop around AI to ensure that we mitigate for those harms that, again, they're very established at the collective um, level, polarization, manipulation, at the individual level, um, um, discrimination, at the societal level, lack of, uh, lack of transparency. So we know what those harms are. They all stem from the fact that current technological development has been allowed to develop without any kind of control of oversight or need for uh, precautions. So we're here because we didn't do our homework when we could. Um, and now we kind of need to, to accelerate the process in which we demand that those safeguards and guarantees are built around AI. Okay, thank you. That's really interesting. And, you know, talking about um, vaccines, you know, makes me think about the, the research that's being done on uh, cells on a chip and that increasingly we're looking at developing methods for testing uh, new drugs, new pharmaceuticals on um, artificial environments in the first place, and we're able to model that in computers and so on. So um, maybe maybe I'm going to be the voice for positive technology in this call. We'll see. <laughs> but certainly, I, I take your point. And it also puts me in mind of something called the Collingridge Dilemma, uh, which is that we often don't know what the harms of a new technology are going to be until it's launched on society. And then we discover those harms only to find out that by that stage, it's too late to do very much about them. So we end up, as you say, Gemma, playing catch up um, with that. Uh, Ravit, same question to you. Uh, how do you see things going? What, what do you think are the biggest challenges we're facing at the moment because of tech? Okay. Um, I'm kind of, I'm split in myself about how to answer this question. On the one hand, there are a lot of ethical challenges that are widely discussed. So it's important to be aware of them. Um, fairness is a very important one. So technologies that we have today have great potential to <laughs> um, exacerbate the existing inequalities that we already have. And, and a part of why these technologies really stand out in their potential negative potential is because of the scale. With AI, everything is at scale. Uh, with a click of a button, you're gonna influence masses of people. Um, and it's really scary to, to see it happen. Um, so we do have, you know, those 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 risks. Um, but I actually, maybe I want to use my time to highlight something that I think is not highlighted enough of what those new technologies are doing to the global political landscape. Um, so something interesting that is happening in AI ethics. So those technologies, as many technologies are, you know, often produced in. In the West, and when I say West, I mean U.S. <laughs> um, and, and also Europe. These are, you know, um, I mean, also in China. But but here's what happens. So we have this. I come from this AI, so I'm gonna I'm gonna focus on that. Um, so we have those technologies produced in those countries, and then we have this field of AI ethics coming in. And and to me, something really important that happens in AI ethics is, is figuring out answers to this question. How can technology and specifically AI impact people, society, the environment negatively um, or positively? But what are the potential impacts? What happens is that a lot of those conversations right now are happening in the US and in Europe. That's what we're seeing. And it's good that we're having those conversations, but 
when we're asking about potential negative consequences, this is a culturally sensitive question. You know, a culturally sensitive question. This is a value sensitive question. What we're seeing is a lot of very specific value systems that are shaping our perspective on the potential negative impacts of technology and, and AI. And, and there's a risk that comes with that. And the risk is, you know, some kind of cultural colonization. And when, when I talk to people with, you know, from other parts of the world, they, they, they often name that, you know? Um, and one person I spoke to even said that in some countries it's considered, um, some people actively consider it, you know, as like an act of like <laughs> actual colonization. And one really interesting paper I read about this talked about the concept of autonomy. Um, autonomy is one of the values that people talk about in AI ethics a lot. So we want to be able to make our own decisions. If we think of nudging that marketers use, if you use AI for nudging, it's going to take it to a whole nother level. <laughs> um, and so it's, 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 you know, to the level of some people say, oh, am I still autonomous? It's like manipulating my thoughts too much. Hmm. Um, and so autonomy became one thing that people really talk about as a potential huge risk, and it is. Um, mm -hmm. But this concept is also familiar from bioethics, and in bioethics, um, it's been a bit controversial because interpretations of autonomy in the West are connected to individuality, but that is in conflict with some communitarian values in African communities. Um, and so we want to be careful when we are thinking about those technology risks, ethical risks, uh, that we do it in ways that don't perpetuate, you know, some of the harmful mechanisms that we've seen in, in you know, in the in, in global politics. So that mm. is my uh, not well, exactly answer to the question, uh, <laughs> but maybe close enough to count. <laughs> yeah, excellent. Thank you. That and that chimes in with something which came up in the last in the last episode as well, where we got talking about that. Now. Again, harping back to the last episode, we are not going to dig into definitions of autonomy because that could easily spend the next 30 minutes and more. Um, but Adam, I want to uh, direct the same question at you as somebody who is not from the US or Europe, uh, maybe has a different perspective on Southeast Asia uh, and some of those areas from uh, your, your background and Australia and also your research into sort of issues around security and national security. So do you sort of see a, a slightly different angle on, on anything that we've been talking about? Um, I definitely agree with uh, Ravit's points. Um, that said, even though Australia, I consider it to be an, an Asian country, it's in kind of the Asian, Asian region, I'm obviously very, very Western. So, you know, I'm Australian, but white Australian with a European heritage and things like that. So yeah. I think I'll probably be seeing it mostly through that kind of Western lens and also kind of being trained in standard, you know, uh, Western, uh, European and, and US style philosophy, my head's probably much more in that Western space. In terms of the question of what is the biggest kind of technological thing facing us um, or problem caused by technology, when I saw this question, my first thought was um, climate change. So, you know, that's obviously brought about by a whole bunch of technologies and we are sort of, you know, slowly heading towards some series of nightmare scenarios as a result of those technologies. So how does that relate to any of the stuff that we're talking about here? I've been reading a book recently um, called Stolen Focus, and it's looking at the ways that uh, mobile phones and email and other information communication technologies are basically ruining our, our capacity to, to focus and pay attention to things. And one of the analogies that the author makes in there, and this will kind of get an answer to our question in a moment, um, is when pollution as a result of petrochemicals and things was first being identified, a bunch of people were calling, calling, okay, this could cause some problems. It was only through, you know, this kind of long, uh, what would you call it, long, long production and use of these technologies that people started to recognise that these really significant problems. For me, the thing that I don't think it's necessarily the most important thing in overall kind of technology stuff, but for me, the thing that I'm working on most is areas of uh, yeah, these overlaps between information communication technologies and national security, and particularly the way that um, uh, information communication technologies and the interfaces of them are driving increased polarization, a lack of uh, kind of uh, cooperation between people, the destruction of um, kind of shared beliefs across communities, 
And particularly the, for me, one of the, the really interesting things that's come up in the past few years, I've been looking at cybersecurity issues for probably about 10 years. Most of the things that we were looking at, well, that I was looking at in terms of ethics and cybersecurity 10 years ago, people are still mostly talking about today. What seems to have caught people really off guard is the vulnerability of both democratic institutions and communities more generally to the kind of pernicious effects of fake news, the, the way that algorithms and AI drive all of those sorts of things. And to relate this back to the global warming stuff, uh, in this book, Stolen Focus, the author there, he makes the analogy that what we're facing now is a similar thing to early in the, the kind of recognition of pollution, climate change, global warming and such. We're surrounded by a whole bunch of information. It's causing us all individual and collective damage. And we recognize that something is going on here, but we're not really, like it's hard to get the coordination around to, to stop it and to respond to it. So this is, yeah, for me, that's, this is this really, really important issue is the ways in which information and communication technologies are having negative impacts on us as individuals, but uh, uh, kind of having really, or playing really, really uh, posing significant threats to democratic institutions that we probably thought for a long time were not vulnerable to such things, and also having really negative impacts on communities and cooperation across communities and within communities. So Kevin, I, I wanted to maybe highlight something here because clearly for those who know me know that I'm rooted in, in the world of cybersecurity. And um, perhaps you could look at that space and say, software is supposed to do X, Y, and Z, and if it doesn't do X, Y, and Z, it may, it may be due to a vulnerability or a weakness in how it's built or how it's being used. And potentially you could identify those and then make some, some response uh, to uh, either fix the vulnerability or mitigate it with some other controls in some way. Ethics seems to be a little more loosey-goosey from my perspective. What, what are the ethics, right? How do you... I, how do you how do you identify them, measure them, quantify them, uh, determine what they're supposed to do, not supposed to do, especially as you start to translate them into uh, technology and what the technology is supposed to do. So how do we how do we kind of figure that world out? And in cybersecurity, we talk about it technology and cybersecurity connected to the business, right? How do we enable the business to succeed? But how do we, I think broader scale now, how do we enable society? to succeed, where perhaps different places around the world, different regions, different uh, communities and tribes think differently and, and have different uh, goals and objectives and different morals and ethics. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a really interesting, well, you've raised several challenges there, I think, right. Sean. <laughs> so let's focus on the, the tech part of it. I know I went a little philosophical yeah. there, yeah. but how, how do we get down to the tech level to say, this is what's going on and something needs to be done. Yeah, yeah, I think I, that, that's really interesting. I just wanted, wanted to quickly as well push back a little bit on the, the, the clarity which you present with cybersecurity, because as you know, when we're determining <laughs> risk in cybersecurity, there are all sorts of questions which come up about how we determine risk, what the payoff is, um, how we're determining what risk thresholds are and things like that as well. So I think it, it can be easy to go into an area thinking it's more clear cut than it often is. And what you really need is an ethicist sitting over your shoulder to point out that it's far more complex than you uh, than you hoped. <laughs> but taking up your picture on technology, uh, I think that's, that's a really valid point is to ask, is it, um, is it the way that the tech is designed that is leading to these problems. And, and I find it really interesting as well that what we've talked about so far has, you know, while, while Ravit's point is very well made and taken that we are, we, we often in the West at any rate, you know, end, end up talking about individual impacts and harms, but all three of you have raised community harms and community impacts that we should be aware of. So is it the way the tech is built that's leading to these problems or is it the way people use the tech that's leading to these problems. So Ravi, I'm gonna throw that one to you. Okay. Um, I also wanna address some things that, that Sean said, and now I'm sorry, <laughs> but um, okay, I'll start, I'll start with, with you asked Kevin, because I've been thinking about this from the beginning of this recording. So you ask, is it the technology or is it the people who use it? And I'm thinking of 
the Wizard of Oz is an analogy. <laughs> Funny you should think of that. <laughs> I don't know why, but I'm thinking <laughs> this movie just came. Um, yeah, I, I, I think um, it's just like imagine the you know the red shoes or ruby slippers, whatever the name is. Mm -hmm. uh, you click it three times and you just magically go places. Um, and and but you could you actually go back home. You, you go back home, but what if you go back home to kill someone? Um, that is a that is a negative consequences of the technology, um, and we can ask about this technology. <laughs> is it Dorothy who's to blame because of the way she used the shoes to go home to kill someone, or is it the shoes? <laughs> um, and so the reason I'm I'm thinking about this question. Um, in this way, and this is connected to, to, to what Sean said. When we say AI ethics, there are a lot of connotations that come with the word ethics. One person once said to me, you say ethics, I think of Plato, but fair enough. Uh, but I'm thinking when I when I think of AI ethics, when I think of this field, it's, it's, it's thinking about the, what are the consequences on people, society and the environment? And, and that kind of orients me. So it's not necessarily about what is right or wrong as much as it is, have you thought about what this thing is doing? Um, and so for me, it's, it's hard to separate between the technology and, and, and the uses of the person because on their own, the shoes are gonna do nothing. Um, and I think, I think comparisons to things that we know like those shoes are helpful because when we talk of AI, it, to people who are not familiar, it can be a little scary. Like they could say, I don't know anything about AI, but it doesn't matter. Those shoes are magic. It doesn't matter. It matters that we're saying, well, is it the kind of thing that the manufacturer should think about or not? Like the company that makes the shoes, should they be thinking about this? Um, so, so for me, it's a difficult question to answer because I, I don't necessarily distinguish between, is it, is it the technology? Or is it the people? Um, I kind of see it as as both at the same time. Mm -hmm. uh, no, I think that's that's a fair point. I mean, technology which doesn't impact on people or isn't used by people in some way is pretty redundant technology, ultimately. I would say. Yeah. Uh, but Adam, same question to you. And thinking back to what you were saying about climate change, perhaps mm -hmm. as well. So, I think I like I, I wanted to agree with Ravit on the idea that it's both. And one of the things that was making me think about this was a couple of years ago, I saw um, Herb Lin, who's a, he's an academic at Stanford. And one of the things he was saying about social media, like people go, oh, look, uh, you know, social media is driving all this disinformation. It shows how dangerous this stuff is and it's a problem for social media. And, you know, people are misusing it. And it's, you know, it's a, kind of, it's a problem of social media. His point was, this is not an accident. This is the way social media is supposed to work. The people who have been kind of using social media for, let's say, politically problematic purposes or socially problematic purposes, they're using it in exactly the way that it's supposed to be used. And the, the way that this kind of links the, the technology and the user is you know, there's a lot of information coming out now about the way that social media companies design their technologies in ways that hijack or kind of uh, parasitic upon certain, um, you know, kind of neural responses to things. So if something's flashing in sh uh, flashy and shiny, I'm more interested in that. One of the, the really interesting things that's coming out now, there's been obviously discussion for a while about the attention economy, but particularly the outrage economy, and that we will be more inclined to pay attention and remain kind of attentive to things that outrages. I suffer from this as much if not more than most people i spend a lot of time looking at things on social media that make me very very angry it kind of gets my blood up and I go, oh my god this is amazing and horrible but oh, i'm going to keep looking i'm going to keep looking i'm going to keep looking and so the the issue here i think is it's it's a bit of a bit of a mistake to try and separate the the technology and the person as ravine was saying you know if you're going to look at uh ruby slippers there has to be a dorothy who's wearing them Similarly, if we're going to look at some of the issues, whether it's with something like social media or AI, algorithms, et cetera, it has to be, you know, we have to look at that technology used in which um, both kind of social context and the ways in which it's kind of impacting individual thinking. So 
I think it's both. And each of them plays a role in shaping the other, which makes things quite complicated and messy. Interesting. Yes, absolutely. There's that, yeah, constant interaction between the two going on. And, and very, uh, yeah, appropriate after the, the recent death of Bruno Latour, who obviously uh, focused a lot of his work on looking at the interaction between humans and technology and, and again, that mutual shaping. Uh, Gemma, same question to you. Can I just add to that? Sorry. Um, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, please. Because Adam made me realize that I forgot to say something. Of course, I agree with you, Adam, on agreeing with me. Uh, <laughs> um, I, I, I just want to add something because I especially liked how you described social media as, you know, a technology that was potentially designed to be misused. Um, because I, I, I think there's a third actor that, that we need to be thinking about. So there's the user of the technology, um, there's the technology, and then there's the organization that created the technology. And I think sometimes we say the technology itself, but someone created it. Mm -hmm. and, and so to me, I'm, I'm thinking, I would maybe phrase the, uh, the question differently. Like, is it fair to say that the tech raises ethical challenges or is it the way that people use it? So maybe it's the way that people create it. Uh, because I think sometimes when people talk about tech, it's, 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 it's a bit exempting the, the, the people behind it. And, and then we have this humanizing of the technology and, and maybe one day we'll have robots that are moral agents currently we do not um and so it's it's we we shouldn't forget about those people who created the technology without testing it like what if the you know the ruby slippers evaporate people because they haven't been tested you know that would have been negligent yeah yeah interesting okay thank you yes yes and rules of negligence come in yeah, in many ways to this, and should companies be held to be negligent in some of these areas that are emerging, I think. Yeah, Gemma, what are your thoughts? Yeah, no, actually, my 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 answer was going to be to question the question. Um, mm -hmm. I don't think that the focus should be on the technology or the user, but on the market incentives that, that led us here, on the incentives of the people developing the technology, the training of the people developing the technology, and to what extent it allows them, it gives them the tools to understand the impact of what it is that they are that they are that they are developing, um, and if we if we couple that a market that has that has grown with the wrong incentives, like an incentive to move fast and break things, and what you break are fundamental rights and values, a market that has been allowed to sell snake oil and to anthropomorphize, I always I that's difficult word for me, um, but to constantly um, give us a, a very um, a, a, a picture of te of technological development that doesn't really capture what technology does, you know, when we're talking about robots and uh, general artificial intelligence, what I see when I audit systems, I see glorified Excel sheets. I mean, what, what the, the, the technology is actually working, that's, that's what we have. Um, so when the debate is on those things that may or may not happen in the future, there's no attention or protection for the harms that we already see because the market has put the debate so far away from the current needs of society that we don't have resources to actually protect people that are being harmed by automated um, systems that are making decisions uh, um, right right now. So I, I think that this focus on the technology, giving agency to technology or the focus on the user, individualizing and making you kind of, kind of guilty for misusing those, those systems is incredibly unfair and is incredibly uh, Western. Um, but I think that, you know, the debate about how Western the ethics of technology is, is also misplaced. I think we need to start with a debate on how Western technology is. And then, of course, if you want to fight the technology that has been developed by white men um, in the US, I wouldn't even say Europe here. Europe doesn't play a role in developing technology or shaping technology. It's just a, a follower. So, you know, the, 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 the values and the, the incentives and the dynamics that have uh, shaped that space, we need to respond to that. And for me, ethics, ethics, I don't like ethics. <laughs> I work in this space, but I think that's the fact that we talk about ethics is a response to this original sin of um, thinking that robots are around the corner and that AI is going to lead to um, general artificial intelligence. For me, ethics is the possibility to talk about uh, politics, context, and impact. Um, and in the same way that we, you know, when we talk about, when we think about seatbelts, that's not the ethics of cars. It's the safety of cars. Like we haven't even addressed the issue of safety in AI systems. That's how bad regulation is at the moment and how bad the incentives are. But there are no incentives to develop safe, 
systems. It's, there's no incentive to develop systems that do what they're actually saying. I often use the example, you know, when you, when you buy a yogurt in a supermarket, the controls regulations start with the cow all the way through the production process, the, the transport to the supermarket. And if everything fails, you have, you have consumer law. With AI, you have none of that. And instead of building those things, like what is the, what is the temperature that is acceptable for the yogurt? Um, how, should, uh, how should milk be, be uh, converted into yogurt? Uh, what is the expiry date? Instead, instead of concentrating on building this ecosystem of things that will allow for safety and security in the use and implementation of those systems, we're constantly talking about the ethics of yogurt, which, you know, it, it makes no sense. And it, it, it constantly kind of deranges our, um, our efforts. So I think we're going to start to strike and not talk about ethics anymore, not talk about uh, whether robots should pay taxes and those things. We just need to talk about the specific things that we can do right now to protect people in those spaces. And there's lots of things that we can do. When we audit a system, when we identify discrimination, a system that discriminates is not only an unfair system, it's a system that works badly. It's not making good decisions. If a bank is discriminating against women just because they're women, that's a bad business decision. And I think that technologists need to begin to understand that their approach to technology and the incentives of the, of the technology market so far have led us to a highly dysfunctional space that if we continue to develop in the same terms, it's going to kill itself. Like the future of AI depends on our ability to save, rescue AI from itself and start talking about AI in terms that incorporate politics, impact, context, um, and, and safety. Wow. Can I say something? So uh, all this, it just keeps ringing each comment, something that actually Ravid said at the beginning where you talked about autonomy. And I feel like autonomy is what we really fear the most when we talk about advanced technology, in particular artificial intelligence, that fear that you can't unplug it if you look at the paperclip scenario or other, uh, you know, other scenario that are very, very scary, it's the fact that, you know, if you're, I don't know, if your vacuum machine goes crazy, you just unplug it. And the fear is that where is the unplug when you start a system, a society that depends on the system that has all this bias, that has potential of autonomy, weapons, something that goes way beyond the control that we have. So I, I'm guessing and I'm asking you guys, how do we put this ethics or security by design, ethics by design in a way that we are still going to be in control? Because I, I agree with Gemma, we can talk about ethics forever, but it's almost like some, I'm going to refer to the Wizard of Oz again, some smoke and you know, and lighting just to distract us when the, the real issue is, are we in control or not? So I think that's, Kevin, kind of my question to to everyone here. Well, ab absolutely. I mean, I, I think I would I would come back a little bit and say whether we're in control or not and whether people are harmed and safety are still fundamental ethical issues. But I certainly take the point, Gemma, that that yes, if we just talk about ethics and we don't talk about operationalizing them, making them real, getting the rubber on the road and actually seeing this stuff make a difference, then yeah, we're, we're just uh, whistling in the wind for want of a polite term um, as to what we're doing with our time. And that ultimately, yes, that's a waste of time that we don't want to do. So I, I think for a final sort of question around, because we've only got about seven minutes left, I, I want to pick up on... Um, some things that have been said, you've been talking about seatbelts throughout Gemma, which, which is great. I often use a very similar analogy about um, you know, safety by design with cars. You don't, you don't build the car and then decide you're gonna slap the seatbelt on at the end or the warning light in the dashboard that comes on at the end. You need to have the requirements there. You need to make sure as you're designing the vehicle that that, that is built into it and, and so on. And so you get the, the final car at the end. Interestingly enough, of course, though, that you know, at least in the UK, seatbelts didn't even become uh, standard in the back seats of cars until 1980. And so cars have been on the road for a good 60 years at that stage before seatbelts at least were in the back. And I think in the front, they didn't become legal, they didn't become mandatory to wear them until sometime in the 90s. So, uh, and, yeah. And many, many car manufacturers campaigned 
against them and I'm consumer sure, yeah. associations. So it's it's the same dynamic. You know, again, innovation has followed a very similar uh, yeah. dynamic yeah. throughout yeah. history. So, so taking that point about about seatbelts, the example of seatbelts, and Marco, you mentioned just now ethics by design. Is there a way, and in getting into this question, we're starting to preempt where we're going to go next time as well. Is there a way in which we can design ethics? And, and I use that term in the very broad sense that we've been talking about. Is there a way in which we can design it, those safety guardrails into the technology itself? Or are we sort of fated for a, a future society governed by tech or by big tech companies or whatever? Um, Adam, I'm going to start with you on that one. Cool. So I'll, I'll try and keep this short because I know that we're, we're limited on time. My answer to that is, and it picks up um, some of what, what Gemma was saying, uh, some of my interest is on institutional ethics. And so a lot of ethics discussions focus on the individual and reduce things down to the individual. Um, there's you know, a bit of a discussion in ethics about institutional ethics, institutional responsibility and things like this. What I would say in response to that question, Kevin, is it can be quite hard to both think of and actively design ethics or particular values into technologies. Um, that's an, a really open question and a big area of debate whether that's even possible or not. What I would say is it's much easier and probably much more important for us to focus on designing values and particular kind of ethical values into the institutions. They're the things that provide the guardrails around those technologies. And so what we need to focus on are the institutional factors around AI, around algorithms, around social media, et cetera. That is where I think, you know, it's a, to labor the point about the Wizard of Oz, this is where we can pull back the curtain and go, okay, the Wizard of Oz is not actually the algorithm, but the person who's kind of setting up the rules around the algorithms. And so I think that's that's probably what we should focus on, the the values and instantiation and protection of values as as done by institutions rather than the technologies per se. Okay, thank you. Yeah. So so looking at institutional values, the shaping of institutions and how those function in order to guide the technology. Thanks. Uh, Gemma, same same to you. So we're working on four things that can can begin to build this ecosystem of oversight and controls, internal and external, that, that AI needs to be reconciled with the with the, the needs uh, of society and our legal framework. So audits is the obvious one, and it allows us to go to kind of retrace all the decisions that were made before the system was built. Uh, we can also see how it's working in practice, and we can also see what humans do when a decision is um, is made. So for me, audit is one of the key pieces in starting to uh, to open the black box uh, of AI and incorporate the incentives for developing AI differently. But we're also working on, on registries. It is very important that whenever an algorithm is in place and is making decisions that impact on human beings, people know that the systems exist. So we're campaigning with different countries so that um, in the upcoming AI Act um, and the and the um, national AI um, agencies that are gonna be created, that one of the responsibilities of those agencies is, is to keep uh, uh, a register for any um, AI with social impact so that we know that it exists and how it, how it works. Related to this, we're working together with the industry in Europe and Latin America in developing what we call algorithmic leaflets, just like the leaflets that come with medicine. Again, we don't need to invent anything. We've done a lot in the past as a society to reconcile the, the potential of innovation and make sure that it that it develops at its maximum potential. And so with medicine, we found that, you know, having this little paper that tells you what, what's in the medicine and how to use it and who to call if something goes wrong and what tests have been done. So could we have algorithmic leaflets that meant that whenever you buy one of those systems, you can know how it works. And you can also compare between different providers, something that right now, not only citizens don't have, but also the companies, the, the organizations that buy those systems often don't know what, they, what it is that they mm. are buying. So we would incorporate transparency in this, um, in this process. And finally, algorithmic, uh, algorithmic scores, just like we have Nutri scores, just like we have the A++ um, in home appliances. Can we do also things that help um, consumers understand how technology works without having to be experts in the field. Like I don't need to be an expert in washing machines to buy a washing machine that is the less, um, the, the least um, um, aggressive towards the environment. We should stop 
requiring that it is the consumer that arms itself um, themselves against the, the abuses of technology. We need to help them understand the choices that they are making. And right now, the user doesn't really have a, an ability to do that. So these are like our, the four proposals that we put on the table that we're working at the policy um, and industry level to, to incorporate. And hopefully many more will come that will allow us to get to a place where um, AI is like cars, you know, not perfect, maybe not even desirable, but at least that it, uh, when it functions, it functions in conditions of safety and protection, the maximum protection for human beings. Excellent, thank you. That's some great examples there of fill, filling in with what Adam was saying about institutional uh, change and, and building institutional values in, but broadening that out even to the societal level and saying, what can we as a society expect and what can we hopefully get in order to, to move this in the right direction? Ravi, uh, in the last minute or so, back to you. What do, what do you think? Uh, okay, I, I want to highlight the organizational aspect of this. Um, so for me, it's, um, yeah, th this is the thing that I'm uh, researching anyways. So it's how do we how do we get the organization to do this, uh, quote unquote, ethical assessment, but by ethical, I mean more like the social political mm -hmm. context of, 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 of what they're doing. And um, I actually, maybe I'll use my minute to just give some concrete examples of things that organizations can do so that they would end up with those products that would pass muster um, and maybe have those kind of certifications that, that Gemma mentioned. So um, I think organizations should start at their inception. So if, if, this, if a founder is currently listening to me, you can do this as a founder. Um, take some time find a time on your calendar to do like a basic impact assessment. There are many free resources online. You can find them. I also have some on my website. Know in advance what potential consequences your product could produce. Um, and then when you do your customer discovery at the very beginning, talk to them about some of their concerns. And this is something you can keep going as your company develops. Um, always when you do sales, when you do marketing, these are actually communication opportunities. And through that, you can understand even better some of the potential consequences of your product. And when it comes to your development lifecycle, one thing that companies can do that, that helps is do a quote-unquote ethical review before the thing, before you decide to develop the feature. So when companies decide whether to develop a feature or not, often they will have business considerations you know, market fit considerations. Why not add potential social consequence considerations, right? Or at least, at the, and you may decide, yes, I, I see the risk. I want to do it anyway, but here are some things I can do to make it better. And then when it's ready to launch, at least go back to it. Did you do those, those things, you know? Um, and then if you're more advanced than that, you can have measures so you can decide, okay, I care about A, B, and C. This is how I measure A, B, and C. These are my bare minimum requirements for A, B, and C. I will not launch if it if it fails this test. Um, so I encourage any anyone who's listening to this, whether you are like developing AI or you might be investing in AI or any kind of technology or especially you know AI or like database. These these are going to have a huge impact. or do have. Think about those things very concretely in your day to day things you can do. Brilliant. Thanks, Ravid. I think that that's a wonderful way in which to sum this up. Uh, we've we've kind of gone from um, talking about these very sort of broad ethical problems to ending up with some very real practical solutions that people can and should be thinking about in order to address these considerations. And this is something we'll be getting into further in the next session. Uh, Ravid, I know that your your new lab on operationalizing AI ethics and helping that kind of thing, you're going to be very interested in that. And I, I think hopefully the rest of our audience will as well. Uh, Sean and Marco, back to you guys. Yeah, I want to I want to thank everybody for uh, for digging into, uh, I would say, an overview. I, I think we have a lot more to, to get into from a tech perspective, but I think we have a good overview of how technology plays a role in some of these ethical questions. And uh, I think a few points for me, uh, I, Gemma, you mentioned the word transparency. And I think we've, we've done a great job, the technologists, abstracting the technology uh, in a way that people don't know. They don't need to know how it works. So we blindly uh, accept the creators of these, of these technologies and we use them uh, and follow our peers like sheep and, and 
join these platforms and use these technologies to to better better our lives. Um, but that creates a lack of understanding, lack of visibility, and I don't know. I think I think we need some some definition of what it means to operate ethically so that we have something to look at as we're building our technologies, something to gauge ourselves against, and then perhaps some visibility. Um, again, when we're talking technology companies, the secret sauce is in the IP and we want to hide that stuff, but in there is what what's driving how these technologies work and how they impact society. So I think some visibility also needs to uh, come to bear so that we can say, this is the potential outcome before before we do the uh, the uh, test on humans, <laughs> see what it actually does. <laughs> so, lot, lots more uh, to discuss. I think we're gonna in the next episode we're gonna look more at uh, the societal impact here. And Kevin has a, another fantastic uh, panel lined up with Marco and I, and uh, I'm excited to keep this conversation going. Perhaps uh, everybody here will join us again for for another conversation on more of the tech stuff as well. And yeah, a yeah, lot. Sean, lot to, I, yeah. I just want to add that I, I think that from the first episode to this one that was supposed to be more tech oriented, we we clearly understand that you can't really put in two silos technology and society. <laughs> Even today, <laughs> we went very sociological, philosophical, and we thought about all these things. So I think the next one is going to be a a follow up on on this and then maybe in the future we can get very specific i have a full paper here of notes that each one many <laughs> things you said could be its own episode oh, yeah. so that that's something we we can definitely consider and i just cannot think about dorothy going back home and go to kill someone <laughs> thanks for that I, I guess the two Fantastic. witches yeah. wasn't enough so <laughs> the, there's something click there, literally. Uh, apart, I, I had a lot of fun. So the whole yeah. <laughs> was was great, but I think that we made people think. Uh, it's time to close this one. So again, uh, thank you, everybody. Yes, Gemma, Pete, Adam, thank you so much. Kevin, as always, you. appreciate uh, you, you. you helping to bring these conversations together. And for everybody listening, thanks for uh, being part of the other society where we, we have a chance now to uh, define how and where we want to live in the future uh, where clearly technology plays a role there. So thanks everybody. Continue listening and uh, we'll see you next time. Bye. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the other society. If you learned something new and this discussion made you think, then share itsbmagazine.com with your friends family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society.